and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour with Serene Saadeh. You're listening to WFNU LP St. Paul Frogtown Community Radio 94.1 FM. Thanks to Manny Mestis for that opening music and just a reminder that you can find the Radical News Radio Hour on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at C Miriam, that's C M I R I A M. And you can listen to previously aired episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, amongst many other podcast sites. You can also reach our show at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com with tips, recommendations, and any questions. On today's episode, we'll be discussing the efforts by Surly Brewing employees to unionize, as well as how to stay mentally healthy as the school year begins and efforts to ensure that Minnesota's historically undercounted communities are counted in this year's census. Just a reminder, if you've got feedback on a story or story tip, please email us. Again, that's the Radical News Radio Hour at gmail.com. Up first, last week, local Twitter pages began to pretty fervently discuss the efforts by Surly Brewing employees to unionize. I reached out to um, to the potential union um, and invited one of their organizers on air to join us. Natalie Newcomer is a former Surly employee, laid off in August, who began to build support for the union um, alongside her fellow employees um, and with other employees and for other employees um, in May. Here's my uh, pre-recorded interview with Natalie. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for speaking with me today, and welcome to the Radical News Radio Hour. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Just about the same. I'm so glad to be able to speak with you about what's been happening with Surly. Um, And so uh, just to start with, I would love it if you could introduce yourself um, to our listeners. Yeah, of course. Um, Like you said, my name is Natalie. I worked at Surly Brewing for just about two and a half years. Um, I unfortunately do not work there anymore. I was fired about a month ago, uh, but I have been a part of the union committee and help in whatever way I can. Mm-hmm. And so I had never heard about the efforts to unionize um, Surly, the, the employees at Surly, until the layoff notice was released. So where did this work to unionize? Um, at Surly come from, and what does that work look like, um, both when you were on staff as an employee and, you know, since you left? Sure. Yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a long journey, I suppose, a lot more work than we all expected. Um, but in uh, May, uh, the first couple employees did reach out to a union representative at Unite Here Local 17, um, and I found out uh, sometime in June and then I was asked to be on the committee right away, and I uh, gladly accepted that. Um, and then over time, our committee grew to uh, about 15 people, and so we were kind of in constant communication about like the happenings at work, and kind of reaching out to others um, to kind of so that everybody uh, kind of knew what was going on if we felt comfortable telling them, because it obviously had to be um, quite a big secret for a while um, until we had it organized and ready to. Uh, tell the bosses. Um, so 
it was mostly just communicating and we had some Zoom calls with our union rep a couple times a week to kind of let us know what the next steps were and how we should get organized um, and kind of think about our demands that we are going to have uh, when it's time to make a contract. So things that we are, you know, unhappy with at work. Um, so kind of what pushed us to organize was mostly COVID related things, um, you know, reopening in the middle of the pandemic, a lot of concerns there naturally, um, but we just felt like safety while at work could have been better and our pay um, went down for most of us. Uh, back of house workers did not get a raise at all even though we had a 15% service charge implemented and front of house workers got raises hourly, but um, they took away tips. So uh, without tips, all of us took big pay cuts. Um, it's kind of just a combination of um, work quality and then also not having any kind of compensation for the, you know, working in a pandemic um, kind of made us unionize um, or start this process of unionization. Um, yes, yeah, so we told uh, the owner Omar and um, Director of Hospitality, Dan Denovis, on Monday. Um, so that was the first time we were public at all about it. Um, like I said, we kept it a secret until then. Um, about 26 of us, I believe, uh, marched in that day uh, to tell them. And then they didn't really say much for the next 48 hours. And then that was what, uh, what you thought sounds like on Wednesday morning. They announced that come November 2nd, they will be indefinitely closing the beer hall and permanently laying off all of their hospitality staff. That sounds like an incredibly challenging and just really tense situation to be facing right now in the midst of everything else. Yeah, definitely. So the layoff has been announced for November 2nd, um, 60 days from when they made the announcement which, um, as you said in our pre-interview, is with you know within their legal right, but doesn't sound like it was pre-planned from your perspective. Can you talk a little bit about what happens between now and then, and what the different possibilities are? Uh, yeah, I mean, since I, um, like I said, I, I don't work there, so unfortunately, I can't be an official part of the union anymore. Um, I'm still on the committee and communicating and. Uh, doing what I can, um, but I will not be part of it. So I, I might not be part of every, uh, you know, conversation when it comes to the actual unionization efforts moving forward. I'm not around at work every day, but from what I've gathered, um, we're pushing forward with the vote. Um, we were not voluntarily recognized as a union, uh, which we did ask them to do on Monday and they refused. Um, and so we uh, kind of applied to go through with the vote right away on Monday. Our union rep did that. And so as soon as we are able to, um, they will do a vote. So everybody who wants to vote can. And as long as it's 50% of those who vote, vote yes for the union, um, uh, we can still become a union officially. I'm not exactly how soon that can happen, but definitely within this uh, two month window that uh, they now have. Um, so then once, uh, they do become a union, or if and when I should say, um, they surely will just face different repercussions, I suppose, in terms of the legalities. Um, it is all kind of confusing because this is a very specific situation that none of us really expected to happen. So we're still kind of trying to wrap our minds around um, the news and how that affects all of our hard work that we put into this. Um, 
yeah, we still we still are calling it union busting. Um, I it just they they did acknowledge that the timing wasn't ideal in their kind of statement to the public, and that is uh, that's one way to say it. Um, they've never talked to us about closing before that day. Um, a lot of people found out on social media that they were going to lose their jobs come November 2nd and that we were closing down. Um, we've hired, or I'm sorry, they certainly has hired new people the whole last month that I've been gone, um, even as recently as last week or the week before we announced the union and the day we told them about unionizing, they even interviewed someone that day. Um, so they showed nothing regarding, you know, closing down for the fall and winter or, in, I mean, they said indefinitely, but we also think that why wouldn't they reopen next summer, but then why would you fire all of your staff permanently? So there's a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. So what are the best ways for people to find out what's happening with the efforts to unionize at Surly? Um, well, definitely uh, social media. We are on um, Twitter and Instagram. Um, Instagram is kind of our main form of letting everybody know what's, what's going on. Um, it's, we're at Unite Surly Workers. Um, so anything that, any progress we make or anything like that, we will be sharing on there as well as um, information about, you know, certain employees um, and things like that. And ways you can help people that you can contact to help kind of uh, achieve our goal. Like at first we, you know, sent out the emails to the owner and the director of hospitality um, who were directly involved with the incident um, and encouraging people to reach out to them via email or, you know, messaging Surly on their social media um, to, you know, tell them to recognize the union. Um, so social media is definitely one way. Um, we're obviously now in the media a lot so just like local news um, we had a, a picket on sunday um, great turnout for that uh, again we advertised that through the social media and we had a really great turnout and um, quite a few like news stations were there and reporters um, so there's a lot of ways to be involved i suppose um, and just kind of stay tuned with what what stage they're at um, i'm sure there are more ways to help in the in the coming weeks. Um, but yeah, mostly we're just, they're waiting on the vote with that. And I'm sure it'll be very, it'll very much, they'll be in the media once we do officially become a union, that'll be, that'll be a big deal. And then again, a lot of questions unanswered that will uh, be answered at that time in terms of what happens next. All right. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate hearing from you and we'll continue to follow along with what happens with the um, work to build a union for surly workers on this show. Thanks to Natalie for joining us on air. Today, we're also joined um, in a pre-recorded interview with Monica Hurtado, a racial justice organizer with Voices for Racial Justice, who has been organizing around the 2020 census to discuss um, the importance of being counted this year, the challenges facing this year's census, and how to be counted. Just a quick note for transparency's sake. I rent personal office space from Voices for Racial Justice, where Monica works. Monica and I went through community organizing, um, our community organizing apprenticeship together through what is now Voices for Racial Justice. And the organization that I work for as executive director, The Uptake, has regularly partnered with Voices and they have a seat on our board of directors. 
But still, when I thought of doing a story on the census, I knew that Monica was going to be the best, uh, best person that we could hear from today. Here's my interview with Monica. Hi, Monica. Thank you so much for joining us on the Radical News Radio Hour today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Thank you. I am doing all right, enjoying this rainy weather. So today we're talking about the census. And just for our audience, I would love it if you could start by introducing yourself and then just introducing Voices for Racial Justice very briefly. So my name is Monica Maria Hurtado, and I'm a community organizer with Voices for Racial Justice. And Voices in, for Racial Justice has the vision a world without racism that honors the culture and knowledge and power and healing of Black, Indigenous, and communities of color. So we do, all, uh, we do advocacy, organizing, and policy work uh, in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I've let people know on the show before, I'm a huge fan of Voices. We've had Brett, one of your coworkers on um, Voices, I say this over and over, is my favorite racial justice organization in the Twin Cities, just for the transparency for all. Um, <laughs> so you have been organizing around the census, and I know we've discussed this personal before, but can you talk a little bit about what your census organizing has looked like and just about what what work is happening right now? We started the work around the census two years ago, and it was uh, not an easy start because we all at Voices were very skeptical in joining the group of people uh, advocating for the census. We were so concerned about the census not being safe for our communities. I was very scared of the census uh, becoming like a tool for uh, our communities to be, especially the undocumented community, to be deported. It was at that time when we were all very concerned about that. So it was it has been a journey from that moment of skepticism and cynicism and fear to start under, to understand what is at stake, how safe the census is, and how relevant it's for our communities to to be part of the census, uh, it has been an, an quite an interesting journey, and now we are trying to do all we can to make sure our black, brown, and immigrant community and indigenous communities are aware of this very unique opportunity to be counted, to become visible, and to use counting for the census as, a, as, a, as an act of persistence. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And at the end of this interview, we'll talk a little bit about how people can fill out the census. But right now, I know you have a week of action that's being called for next week as Voices and some of your partners are putting on together. Yes. Um, that Through that involvement that Voices has been part of with many other partners, and when I say partners, I'm thinking about many organizations led but uh, by historically undercounted uh, members, members of the historically undercounted communities. So that's, that's the group we have been part of, and and you can tell Minnesota has been doing pretty good in the in the nation. Uh, we used to be number one for a while, 
uh, when we were doing self response and then we are now last time I checked we we were number twelve when the census uh bureau started to go to doors uh of people who have not uh, been fill, filling out the form we we were not doing as great and out of that concern we know okay if eighty percent of the people have been doing the the census work or filling out the form, who is the twenty percent that is not? We know. We know that 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 is the people of color and indigenous community and out of concern some partners uh got together and we said that uh, we need to do something about this. So Linda Hare from the uh, Asian American Organizing Project and Leanne from, Leanne from that organization and Gabby from Voices, Racial Justice and myself got together and out of that we created a toolkit to be part of a week of uh, digital organizing next week. And Monday, September 14th, we will start uh, that week of action and the first day we will be that monday we will be asking people to change their picture in facebook and use a frame about the census and to tag friends who have been uh, doing uh, or filling out the census form or who have not been doing it uh, as a way to to get traction and to visibilize the need for us to do it we will have uh, Tuesday, we will have a Twitter storm. Everybody's welcome to be part of that. Uh, we already have some partners uh, um, committed. Uh, Tuesday from 1 to 2, we will be sharing messages and graphics about the reasons why we should be filling out the census information. Uh, and uh, we will be sharing uh, uh, those graphics in Facebook, in Instagram, in Twitter, during uh, Wednesday too. And Thursday is when we will be doing Facebook live uh, videos with partners, uh, sharing why we are involved in this work, how the experience of filling out the census is, and why why is that uh, important and. We are doing this throughout the week from the 14th to the 20th, all next week. It's super important that if you are listening to me to now, you please engage in this because uh, we only have until September 30th to become counted for the census. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the week of action sounds incredibly interesting and I'm, I'm really excited to see it happen and, and we'll of course be talking about it more on this show. This, As you said, the census is going to be ending earlier this year on um, September 30th. Typically it goes until I believe late October. Can you talk a little bit about what the impact of this early end to the census will be on historically undercounted communities? This is the thing. We are under a very unique year and COVID has changed everything, and not only COVID, but all the civil uh, um, unrest 
after the murder of George Floyd, all those things we have been doing or going through this year have made the census a very difficult job. It's always difficult because uh, we, we, and I say we, people of color, indigenous communities, immigrant communities, we are very distrustful of the government. And census is something that is is uh, organized and collected by the government. So we uh, we were originally uh, expected to be done by July 31st, but because of COVID, that was extended by government, by federal government. They said, "Oh, with COVID, there's no way we are going to collect all the data we need to uh, on time." So. The federal government said, oh, let's move this until October 31st. So we were so pleased with that decision because we said, okay, this is going to give us the time we need to get to those communities that are um, not as connected or engaged. And suddenly, a few weeks ago, uh, we started to to get information about uh, new changes. So instead of ending on October 31st, now the last day for us to collect, to, to fill out the, the census form, it's September 30th. So we are uh, without that month of October and we are very concerned because uh, we know who the people who have not done it yet, who they are. They are scared and that month was going to be vital for us to double efforts to go to, let's say, now there's great concern about North Minnesota. And who lives in North Minnesota? Well, rural communities, but the communities that the native communities, the, the, the indigenous communities in the reservations, and they have a PO box, they don't have like a regular house address, for example. It's one of those communities that is, is uh, not, has not been, um, filling out the, the information, and our fear is by not having that month of October, we are not going to have many of our brothers and sisters from the BIPOC communities counted. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that. So how can people fill out the census right now? What are their options? The good news about the census is that uh, we will have until September 30th, anybody can go online and fill out the census form. And it's super easy. If you go to your computer and you type my 2020 census, that does, you will go straight to a, a website that the first thing you see is a star questionnaire. So that's one of the ways to, to do it. And you can even select the the language for you to 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 if you speak Spanish or other languages uh, you can uh, select that and you can um, also call uh, uh, use do this by phone and you can and that uh, is basically what is happening it's possible that some people can is going to get some calls or maybe even some people getting at the door uh, 
it's not clear if that is still happening, but it's possible. So that would be another way. Don't get surprised if you also get someone knocking at your door asking you, hey, can you tell me who lives in front of you? Because when a household is, uh, is not filling out the form, one of the things the Census Bureau can do is ask people around, hey, this is the census uh, time. We haven't been able to get a hold of the people living in this household. Can you tell me if someone lives there? And can you tell me if they are two people, five people? It's not the, the best thing or the most accurate thing, but it's some of the things that we know the Census Bureau can do. But so far, as I said, online, super easy, 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, my 2020census.gov and also by phone and I will give you the phone number in a in a few seconds after I found the phone number. My2020census.org.gov.org. At golf. G-O-V-S and Victor. Yes. Wonderful. We'll make sure to link to that on the website and we'll make sure to include the, the phone number as well. I have now the Phone number is uh, 1-800-923-8282. It's, uh, it's, it's the phone number. There are several. Just for you to know, but the one that is uh, easy to find is 1-800-923-8282. Wonderful. We'll make sure to include that in the website when we're promoting it as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much um, for that, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Having you on, informing us about the census and about the week of action is just so crucial, and thank you for your work organizing around the census. Um, I feel so comforted by the fact that there's leadership like yours and voices in the conversations and the discussions happening around making sure historically undercounted communities are being counted. Thanks to you. Right. Thanks to Monica for joining us on air. We're also being joined today by Dr. Amy Marshall in a pre-recorded interview, who's going to be talking to us about how to stay mentally healthy as the school year winds up. Here's that interview now. Hi, Dr. Marshall. Thank you so much for being on air with us again. I'm really grateful that you're able to speak with us about how to keep kids engaged during this very odd school year. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So as I had told our listeners today, we're talking about how to keep kids engaged during the school year and how to stay mentally healthy when um, everything is just so different and, mm -hmm. and everything continues to change for us. So mm -hmm. first, can you tell us just a little bit about how you, what your work is? Because I know that you, you work with children, right? Uh, primarily, um, my I'm a clinical psychologist. My practice is ages two up through college. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm really interested in as we move into this next school year is how do we how do how do we stay sane? How do we just keep our wits about us? Mm -hmm. It is very challenging. Um, the whole summer has been a struggle, I think, for a lot of families because. Even though the weather is nice and you can go outside and uh, at least in my area, you know, parks have been open, 
as long as people are encouraged to social distance. But we're looking at uh, just around the corner that going outside and those kinds of things are going to start being more restricted again. So I think that we all kind of have to be prepared for that uh, that kind of cabin fever that is already set in, but that that's going to escalate. So finding things that you can do from home, uh, finding options that are safe. I know that uh, a lot of families are creating, um, the, I guess they're called quarantine bubbles, where, for example, three families all agree we're all going to quarantine with everyone except each other so that kids can still get some in-person social interaction. Um, I know with the school year starting, though, a lot of districts are looking at in-person. So a lot of it is just being prepared for uncertainty because we don't really know what the numbers are going to be two weeks from now. Um, you know, I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and parents were given the option to distance learn, but for the most part, schools are open here, and we're really not sure if how long they're going to be able to stay that way. Mm -hmm. Now, I know in our area, in Minneapolis and St. Paul, um, mm -hmm. and some of the inner ring suburbs, that mm -hmm. some of the districts and some of the schools are doing a hybrid model, mm -hmm. and I also know that Zoom fatigue is real. Yes, it is. What are some of the ways that we can keep kids engaged when they're on these Zoom calls all day? Well, first of all, I think a lot of teachers are feeling stress of wanting to make sure that kids are paying attention, and that is absolutely important when you're distance learning because you're not physically in the room with the children, so it's harder to hold their attention. But I think that sometimes... Um, addressing that can cause more problems. Uh, for example, a lot of teachers are saying, you know, if you're in the classroom, your camera must be on. I have to be able to see you. But a lot of kids that I work with who have any amount of anxiety, oh, they, they hate being in the Zoom call with the camera on because it really feels like every single person in the room is staring at you, um, not to mention kids in uh, kids in low-income families might be self-conscious about their classmates seeing where they live. Um, kids who are maybe more hyperactive, it's harder for them to be able to get the wiggles out if their video's on. Um, I have recommended to some teachers, if it's possible, to say, you know, leave your camera off um, to just have some, some flexibility with that. And there is a way in Zoom specifically when you're in a group that people can, um, they click a button and it, it tells the host uh, so-and-so is raising their hand. Um, if the teacher is truly concerned that a child with their video off is going to say, you know, wander away from the classroom and not come back, they could just periodically say, you know, could everyone please raise your hand right now? And only the teacher can see who didn't raise their hand. So it's not shaming and it's not drawing attention to that specific student, but it can help the teacher know who's maybe struggling a bit more. Wonderful. And what can parents do about mm -hmm. making the school year a little bit easier on kids? Sure. Um, I think it's, it's hard for parents too because a lot of parents are working from home, um, but a lot of parents are not. And with their child doing a hybrid model, it's hard for parents, even if they're working from home, it's hard to be present and helping your child learn, but also doing your job. Um, I've been working from home since March, 
and I don't have to take care of any children in my home, but I would not be able to work from my home if I was also helping with homeschooling or hybrid schooling or um, anything like that. Um, I think that we all just need to have, you know, have grace for each other and just know that this is, it's never been like this before. We're all stressed out. We all have no idea what's going to happen next. So we just kind of need to cut ourselves and cut each other some slack. And with kids, you know, kind of lowering our expectations for what does it look like to be succeeding academically because you're not just trying to have your child pass their courses. You're trying to have your child pass their courses with a level of independence that we don't usually put on and maybe some high school kids who do like self-directed homeschool, but for the most part, we don't put this amount of independence on someone before, say, college. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for speaking with mm-hmm. us today. I was really, I'm really grateful to be able to have you on air for a few minutes um, since many Minnesota schools started back mm-hmm. up this week. And mm-hmm. there's just so much that's changing. I'm sure we're going to have you on air again in the future um, Mm -hmm. in the hopes that eventually we have a shift back to something more normal. Hopefully. (laughs) All right. Well, you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks to Dr. Marshall for joining us for that segment. Just a reminder, you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a quick announcement before we conclude this episode of the Radical News Radio Hour. The Uptake will be hosting its next community journalism training on September 19th from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. via Zoom. More details can be found on Facebook, and you'll need to email me to RSVP. My contact information can also be found on the Facebook page. That's it for now. We'll see you next week for our next episode as we continue to explore social movements and community organizing across the Twin Cities. For now, thank you for listening to the Radical News Radio Hour. You can reach us at radicalnewsradiohour at gmail.com. You can find us at journalismofcolor.com. And you can listen to all episodes of this show on Spotify, Google Podcast, Pocket Cast, and several other podcast platforms. Thanks to Manny Mestas for this episode's opening and closing theme music. And for now, you're listening to WFNU, LP, St. Paul, Frogtown, Community Radio, 94.1 FM.